everyone, welcome to the Curiosity Cast, a place where we explore a variety of topics, meet interesting people, and follow our curiosity wherever it takes us. I'm your host, Allie Merrill, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, so today I wanted to mix it up, and I've decided to have somebody on this podcast who's sharing a story from back in the 70s of a stunt that he and his friends pulled in the waters outside of Seattle. He is a local legend, or at least in my eyes. They were in the newspaper. It was this whole thing, and so he's here today to share his story with you. So without any further ado, meet Bruce. Well, I'm glad that this finally worked out after many technical difficulties, but we will leave those in the past because it all sounds good now. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm honored that you would want to hear hear my crazy story. <laughs> well, I feel like you are a Seattle legend that people don't know about yet. Or like very a few people know about it. The people who are involved in you are very legendary with them. So, I think I just wanted to share it with the wider public, because it's such an awesome story. Hopefully they won't find it boring, but we sure had fun with it. Yeah. Well, um, just kind of to get us started, do you mind just telling me a little bit about yourself, where you live, your family, how long you've lived in Seattle? Sure. You know, I am a true Northwesterner. I I was born in, the, in Seattle uh, in 53. Can you imagine? Okay. <laughs> uh, I lived in the Magnolia area and went to Queen Anne High School. Um, I went to um, my first year school in Tacoma in college and then transferred up to the U. You know, what we found was I already knew the Northwest was a, a microcosm of, of the water ski manufacturing world. Mm-hmm. There was O'Brien, Joby, Conley, and we got to know uh, some of these key people from living there. We mm-hmm. were probably five to seven years after the initial wave of of Herb O'Brien, you know, actually being there. And uh, although I got to know Herb O'Brien and Jeff Joby and the their various people at the Conley water ski factory. But um, uh, there was um, a core group of friends. A few of us were sitting there and we were talking about um, some of the people we got to know at the Villa Marina and how they would talk about um, things that they had done um, with the water sport world. Like down in Elliott Bay, they'd have tugboat races. Okay. <laughs> and part of, one of the things they do, and that was pulling water skiers. So they'd also, um, they were trying to set a world record for the number of water skiers they could get up behind a boat. So that naturally a tugboat would be the perfect one. Their biggest challenge, they had 70 some skiers, I believe that's what I remember, but their biggest challenge was just keeping the ropes from getting all tangled up. Because they were trying to get as many water skiers as possible hooked onto one tugboat. Is that right? One boat. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. The boat was powerful enough, but managing all the ropes was their (laughs) job. 
So we were talking about, well, what could we do that wouldn't be too dangerous and relatively safe um, and just have some fun doing it? Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, how about what's the biggest boat we could ski behind? And we thought, well, let's start start with a ferry. So one of the friends, Clark Whitney, was um, a roommate from my co- college in Tacoma. He lived on Oyster Bay in Bremerton. And we decided, okay. well, Clark has the, Clark, he was part of this. You have your heat wave function. It's a, a get together with a bunch of friends at his place every summer. Let's, let's time it that that morning or that day and so Kyriakos was coming over on the ferry I actually spent the night at Oyster Bay with Clark and we said look Kyriakos when you're about halfway down Rich Passage which is a long straightaway an inland straightaway before the ferry lands at Bremerton it's probably about a three mile long straightaway when you're about halfway down you'll see us ski up from behind mm-hmm. hook the rope by the red zodiac um, and you know we made a clip and a double length rope um, and throw it over and we'll ski up and I'll switch handles <laughs> and that went perfectly so the last Full 10 proof. minutes before the the ferry landed I was skiing behind it and just having a a great time wow. and Clark was driving we weren't exactly uh, we didn't have an observer but you know this wasn't all that serious an event we just thought okay this will work let's do it mm-hmm. and, and didn't happen to have an observer for that one but uh, uh, so as soon as that happened we I jumped back in the boat and we zoomed down to uh, uh, Clark's house that went off without a hitch uh, there was a little thing on the radio that I didn't hear, and there's a something in page B that we did clip the article about. They called us the Phantom Skiers. Okay. So we thought we were back at the 521 Cafe, and thought, well, okay, that went off. That was pretty easy. What's the next biggest boat we could ski behind? And then we decided the Princess Marguerite, that it's a, a you know more of a, a cruise ship kind of a boat that went between Seattle and Victoria. Okay. It carried cars, but it also had a couple of restaurants on it, It, um, a big fan tail where the um, tourists uh, would hang. And it it was about a four-hour trip up to to Victoria. Mm -hmm. We thought, okay, so yeah, we could do that. So... We decided this boat was big enough that we could do three skiers. So my roommate, Rob Cook, and a friend, Greg Sahar, uh, signed on, and the three of us were going to be the skiers for this one. So two of us rode the Princess Marguerite to Victoria one day, and we timed out the trip and where the boat was at each point and where might be the best place to, to execute it. And we decided the area right between point no point on the peninsula and double bluffs on the south of the end of Whidbey Island mm-hmm. would be the best place to do it in the that we could sit amongst the fishing boats that were off double bluffs and we wouldn't be noticed and then we could um 
execute it from there. So we decided that we would go in and talk to the uh, coast, the guys at the Coast Guard station in Shilshol, which is Golden Gardens, mm-hmm. and went in and uh, asked the fellow, um, you know, we're, we're out on the sound quite a bit, and there's these, you know, big ships out there. Is there a certain legal distance that we need to be from these boats <laughs> and to, you know, uh, you know you know, 300 feet or, and he says, no, there's no, really no distance. And we're thinking, I said, well, we're thinking about boats like, for example, big ones like the Princess Marguerite. And he, go, he got very animated uh-huh. and he said, well, the Princess Marguerite, we find them $25,000 last summer. They, they swamped two commercial fishing boats out in the Straits on their, oh, just before gosh. they got to Victoria. He said, they have an eight foot wake behind it it's it's a four foot trough and four <laughs> feet above and it's very sharp there's very little distance between the waves he said they have a cruiser hull he went into all this detail uh-huh it was a uh, giving you the exact info you wanted to hear probably uh, well you know that just added to the excitement you know we love big waves okay this this will just add to the the thrill mm-hmm. so yeah he said we find them twenty five thousand dollars last summer and um, you'd want to be very careful around a boat like that because that, that could swamp your boat. So, um, yeah, we went into Conley water skis and, and we had told them about the ferry thing that we were going to do and they didn't okay. really believe us. So <laughs> when we were back in, they said, you did it. And we, yes, we did it. And we've got another plan. We're going to ski behind the Princess Marguerite. And they said, well, we'll supply all your ski gear. So they gave us life jackets and they made a, we, part of the plan was we had to stay out of the green water. Okay. The green water is the, the big propellers on the ship, um, stir the water up and it's, it's swirling behind it. So you have this area right behind the middle of the boat that goes back for a good quarter mile. That's kind of green colored mm-hmm. and not the dark blue. That's the the regular water you want to stay out of that when you're within a few hundred feet of the back of the boat because you could get you know it's unlikely but you could get caught in it and be swirled underwater for a minute or two until you popped up so we decided we'd be about 500 feet behind it and have the rope go out the side so that we were never really needing to be in the green water okay so Conley made us a 600-foot rope, and they spliced in three 30-foot ropes to the end of that one. Um, so we that had is our, a huge rope. That's. You know, <laughs> I was just trying to wrap my head around how big that was as you were saying that, and I thought, that is huge. Well, it's two football fields. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, it was also a hundred feet up the side of the boat that had be coming out. So we were 500 feet behind and I, it was, <laughs> I guess it was really partly for safety and uh-huh. we wanted to be out uh, away from the real um, lively water behind the, uh, directly behind the boat. So let's see. Our plan was going to be, that we would meet it at 
at uh, oh oh by the way the the company that built my boat they said yeah. they would bring out two brand new day cruisers that were high performance so these are 60 mile an hour um, 25 foot boats that um, that uh, uh, when we uh, where when we were doing a little meeting at Shilshul before we left the the uh, owner of the factory, which drove one of the boats, he said, now, I want to tell you, the only thing that we're going to stop for is the Coast Guard helicopter. To okay. anybody else, we're going to wave goodbye. <laughs> These are 60-some <laughs> mile an hour boats, you know. And, yeah. Uh, he's kind of a wild guy, so okay. Um, part of the plan was we there would be three guys that would go on the Princess Marguerite they each had backpacks mm -hmm. and it's a key part of um, this is knowing how the, the, they had the tough job, those three guys. So in fact, we had a friend fly up and pick them up afterwards uh, so they could have a, you know, that was something fun to look forward to. It was mm -hmm. more of a nervous thing for them, but the 600 foot rope we had very neatly wound onto a spool. And that spool was on a pipe, and the pipe had flanges on both ends to keep the spool from sliding off. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that they would it would go was be when it got down to the last row of rope, uh, the fellow holding that spool would simply throw it through the the porthole. There was a piece of rope that then went from the spool to a round um, piece of wood that went up against the porthole. Okay. Okay. So um, we had that that part of it down, and and that was, you know, there was no reason that wouldn't work quite well. Um, so we had the two boats. One of the boats would have the three skiers, three rope handlers. Each skier would have his own assistant, and, and mm -hmm. mainly for um, keeping the skier in the boat. Because when we left the area we were sitting in amongst the fishing boats, we would be sitting on the backs of our skis, rope handles in our hand mm. that, that went to the ski boat. Okay. And the engine, we'd be sitting on the engine cover. There's a great big engine cover area. And so um, uh, the rope handlers would hold us there, especially when we went across the wake of the Marguerite to keep us from rolling in by okay. accident. The other boat had, we had a couple of cameras. Uh, Conley Waterskis said, Look, we'll we'll give you this stuff. All we want is pictures. We might use it for advertising. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so we picked a day, and we had a time 9:26 in the morning. The guys on the on the Princess Marguerite would let the ropes out, and um, we left um, Golden Gardens, Shilshol, and headed for Double Bluffs. Um, 
So we're preparing, getting ready, and we see this black puff of smoke on the horizon. And that was a very nervous moment. We knew that, okay, she's coming. The Princess uh-huh. Marguerite is on her way. So we were. I'm getting jitters just thinking about that moment. <laughs> oh, Allie. We, like, I'm it, nervous for you right now. Yeah, you know, um, we were pretty nervous. Just, yeah. you know, we thought we had a pretty clean plan. And uh, it was a beautiful Saturday morning. It was actually. Uh, almost glassy other just boat waves mm-hmm. there was no wind which is you know uh, so you, you can get that in Puget Sound but you also can get quite a wind so you can get mm-hmm. some pretty big wind waves but so conditions were perfect once the Princess Marguerite passed us um, we left the fishing boats and headed toward the wake and we had walkie-talkies we didn't have cell phones and so we had radios walkie-talkie right. radios between the two boats and as we approached the the first set of waves um, over the walkie-talkie comes the the don the boat driver the factory owner his wife carolyn saying don you're not going over those waves and they they were pretty ominous looking and he just smiled and put the radio down didn't didn't say a thing <laughs> And approaching the giant wake, um, uh, he slowed way down. And as we went up the first wave and crested the top and went down the backside, he floored it in reverse to keep the nose from going under the next mm. wave, which would have flooded the boat. Okay. And he, he did beautiful. I mean, we got over it. There was uh, several of those waves before we hit the flat area behind. As soon as we got across and into the flat area, we rolled off the, the back of the ski boat with our skis and he took the idled out and then uh, took off. And the other boat made it across. He copied what the driver did exactly as okay. as the our driver did. So um, we're coming up to the boat and we should be seeing a rope but we're not seeing it. Mm-hmm. And after a few minutes, we knew something had gone wrong. Well, they had let the rope out, but the crew saw it and oh. they cut it. They evidently went out this the next porthole and reached down and grabbed the, oh my gosh. the, uh, the rope and cut it. What a huge disappointment. We still had yeah. some fun. I mean, we went up uh, close to the boat and got pictures of that. The, the the Princess Marguerite has a great big Union Jack, the red, white, and blue uh, Union Jack on the mm-hmm. painted on the back of the boat. So we got some fun pictures of the boat right up near the back of the boat with the with the the Union Jack. But we knew, okay, this isn't the end. We're gonna we're gonna try again. So uh, we went back, and the only thing we needed to change was make an adjustment so that the crew could not cut the rope, so they mm-hmm. couldn't get at it to cut it. Um, you know, I want to mention something else that is, um, you know, the. Allie, I'm going to take a little turn here, but this is this has been a. Um, I didn't know what it was early on, but um, I call it creative flow. Okay. And 
you know, the, I think about the, the first five words in the Bible are in the beginning, God created. Mm-hmm. And a few verses later, it's, and he made us in his image. And back then I didn't know, I didn't know what, what it was. I just knew that this is fun solving things. It's fun to think about things. Uh, and it goes beyond what the mind actually thinks about. But um, when I had an issue to deal with, a lot of times just sleeping on it overnight mm-hmm. or just thinking about here's the problem. How do I solve that? And it wasn't always a matter of mechanically in my mind thinking about it. It was the answer would come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, creative flow is something that it were, it happens in all parts of our life. You know, it, it, some people are, are creative in social things. Other people are creative in artist, artistic things. I was listening to the radio while um, working one day and listening to NPR, and this fellow called in um, – he, he, he was talking about his, his life as a musician. And he said, things really broke loose to me at, for me at one point. He said, I, I called a friend who had made it in the, the music world. And I said, Have you, you know, you've heard my new stuff. What do you think? And he said, you're almost there. He said, you're going to need to go really deep. And that, I knew what that meant. That meant putting it out there beyond where your mind mechanically thinks about it and it'll come for, it'll come. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll get a flow. Paul Simon talks about his best work. He's one of my favorite all time musicians and okay. listening to him, you know, answer questions. He said, my best work just flowed. It was already out there. I just was a vessel that it came through. He said, um, one of, he said he, the boxer, one of his songs, he said, I, on that one, it's different. I spent three months wrestling with that. It didn't flow. Yes, that one was a, a, a hit too, but, you know, Bridge Over the Troubled Waters, um, Silence, uh, uh, Song of Silence. He said, and he named off a bunch. They just flowed. Mm-hmm. There was no effort. I had them written in no time. Anyway, uh, uh, solving the the um, things like, okay, how do we keep the rope from being? It just just flowed. So okay, so we we uh, went back to the drawing board and uh, we decided we put 30 feet of cable between the uh, the pipe that held the the spool and the plate that went up against the inside of the porthole. Okay. Now this time my roommate and I went down to the princess Marguerite while it was sitting at the pier at five in the morning. And uh, they, they would usually start boarding at, at seven in the morning. And, but we were there at five, there was nobody guarding the gangplank. We just walked right on the ship <laughs> and we went down to the, the, uh, um, the car deck. And we measured the thick, we, we already knew how I'd already measured from my first trip up how big the porthole was, but I didn't measure how thick the, the hull was mm-hmm. and it was eight inches. So we went back and I made these, 
little spring-loaded metal arms that when you pulled the pin on the inside of the plate, of the, the wooden plate, these little spring-loaded metal arms would shoot out on the outside of the hull. So once that that plate was in place, yep. he would pull the pins, the, and then the crew couldn't pull the, the, the plate off the hull. And if he reached out the next couple of portholes, he'd only have steel cable to deal with. And there was wow. so much pressure on the rope that uh, uh, he would be really hard for him to pull it in via the cable. Yeah. So, um, so uh, we rescheduled it. The boat drivers came out. Uh, the three guys on the Princess Marguerite were, were, we dropped them off and we headed up to the Shilshol to launch. And again, another beautiful Saturday morning. And um, everything goes perfect. Um, I pick up the three handles, which were bungee corded together, uh -huh. that had come out of the Princess Marguerite. I take off the bungee cord off the three handles, and I'm waiting for the boat driver to slow down enough that that the slack would I would have no slack in the rope between me and the Princess Marguerite. Okay. So I'm water. There's three of us water skiing, and slowly he 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 backs off the speed. He did a great job, and finally you see me lunge forward ahead of the other skiers. I'm now behind the Princess, wow. and. He's got to now match up the speed for the next skier. And I handed, so once he got close, I handed him two handles. And so he grabbed those. And then as soon as the boat, um, as soon as the driver slowed down enough that, that he was now holding on and skiing behind the, the with the power of the Princess Marguerite, uh, um, we now focused on handing off to the third guy. Okay. Well, the third guy fell on that, oh. trying to match up speed. He, um, he had a fall, and the the other the the other boat went back to pick him up real quick and and brought him back up. And the second skier was starting to get tired. He said, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna bail now." So I grabbed his handle when he bailed, and and the third one. We had three handles, but one of them had the um, what what's called a uh, a surfacing buoy. We had put in front of that handle um, to keep all three handles always floating. Oh, well, right. Okay. Something went wrong with that one, Allie. It it went straight down. So uh, all of a sudden, I'm skiing along, and the rope's coming up from between my skis. <laughs> So here's the Marguerite, you know, 500 feet in front of us. But the rope now is I'm skiing from us like from a submarine. Yeah. So that just made it difficult. I wanted to get out to the wake to to you know, uh, play with skiing on that wake. But there was no way it was going to let me go from uh, is like an anchor down below. Mm -hmm. But the other skier did get on and we've got um, a photo to prove it. So. Um, it sh we've got on one of the photos, the two of us are near each other skiing behind the Princess Marguerite. And the third is just outside of us, but he's obviously skiing behind the boat. Okay. But he shortly got on. And so all three 
all three skiers did get get the chance to to ski. So we were skiing for about 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, two of these Chinook helicopters. Now, these are the giant ones with the two rotors. Then yeah. they, they carry heavy things like tanks and, you know, 200 guys. Um, but these, these come by and they're, you know, probably about a couple thousand feet up. Yep. The second one peels off, drops down to a couple hundred feet above water level and starts circling us. Oh my gosh. As we're skiing along. And uh, the boat driver gets a bit nervous. And he, this is what, you know, these aren't the Coast Guard, but they're obviously <laughs> the military. And I, I knew they were probably weekend warriors. They're reservists that practice um, on the weekends. And they were likely flying between Yakima and and Whidbey Island Naval Air Station, which we would have gone by soon. Mm-hmm. But the the boat driver got nervous, and he fly he signals us, let's let's come in. So we let go, and and um, uh, boat came over and picked us up, and and then the heli- the last helicopter just kept heading up straight toward Whidbey Island Naval Air Station. So we were trying to think, well, should we start skiing again? <laughs> but <laughs> We decided, you know what? We got our 10, 15 minutes of skiing in. Uh, it's done. Let's head over to Heat Wave, you know, to Clark's in Bremerton now. And uh, it was the same day again uh, as his as his his event. And so the the helicopter didn't follow you, or in there. And were there any boats coming after you guys? No, no. Okay. You know, I, um, I think there was maybe some confused fishermen around you know what were those boats doing why did the skiers go out behind that big boat i i don't think most much anyone much of anyone even knew what what had just happened yeah so but back at our condo uh our apartment uh, on lake sammamish a few days later i get a call from mark robinson uh, my friend whose dad is the editorial he said was that you guys, you know, behind the Princess Marguerite? And I go, well, maybe. And he goes, will you meet with a with a reporter? And I, I said, well, uh, yes, as long as I have their word, they won't mention any names. Mm. And he said, yeah, they they'll they'll honor any of that. I said, okay, we'll we'll meet with them. So he said, bring a couple pictures. Right? So okay. So a few days later, we met with uh, this down at the Seattle Times with a reporter. And he said, okay, I don't know if we're going to do anything with this, but we might. So I need your word that you won't talk to anyone else about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll give you my word that if we use it, there's no names. We will have no names. Now, I have to tell you, we had already started planning and already spent some time um with what was next and that was the the boeing hydrofoil it it was running between seattle and bremerton and seattle and victoria it has a a a 747 jet engine that that turbine engine that pumps that drives the pumps that that 
gets this big vessel up onto water skis, essentially, and it goes 50 to 60 knots. It would be the the thousand foot fantail that that could crush you. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that's pushing a very you know many ton boat. In the early morning, it would come down and park at the pier right next to the Princess Marguerite. We would watch how it docked and then mainly how it took off because it didn't leave the dock like a normal boat would. It would back out and spin around. So we we knew we would have to sit underneath the dock incognito and then swim the rope around the front of the boat and attach it to the back. Oh, so that it wouldn't get tangled. So, right. So that right. when it went, took off backwards and and kind of unfolded around the the uh, uh, rope, uh, uh, it would be perfectly lined up to you know pull out and we'd have it underwater. Here was the the here again a bit of providence. The fellow that lived in the unit that we lived in on Lake Sammamish before us, Paul, nicknamed Pineapple, he <laughs> he was a diver for repair on the hydrofoil. Oh my gosh. So we had shared with the, the uh, he asked, the, the reporter asked, well, what's next? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got the, the super ferry Hayek, the, the, the Princess Marguerite ship. And we said, well, we got our eyes on the hydrofoil. And he goes, the hydrofoil? Oh, well, okay. So the last sentence in, okay. All right. Well, I got to back up. Got ahead of myself. We, my roommate and I went camping in Idaho at, um, in uh, a few days after we did the Princess Marguerite thing and we'd met with a reporter. We said, let's, let's go camping. So we went over to Priest Lake in Idaho and, and camped for a week and came back. And the next day um, we, we got all our mail and the, the papers and my roommates going through the, the, the papers and I hear this yell and I go in, what's going on? And he goes, look at this. And here are the front page of the Seattle Times. Oh my Full, gosh. I mean, it's a huge picture. It's not a little one. This is, yep. this is most of the paper, a color picture of that we one of the ones we'd given him of skiing behind the marguerite so the first thing we're doing is did he honor what he said are there any names no names Uh but it it said at the very last sentence in the article was what next and uh and then it said the boeing hydrofoil with speeds over 50 knots question mark oh (laughs) my goodness so the diver paul showed up at our door a couple days later and he said you know what they had me do because he had shared with us here's where you want to hook up it's yeah. right at the water line just below the water line these come along loops t- to pull it up on the rent and dry dock that's where you want to hook onto. well now he said you know what they had me do they had a, had me um, go down and put these special nuts and bolts in each hole, each loop on the back of the boat. So you can't hook your ropes on, but there's another way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But my roommate and I were, we thought about it for a couple days and we, he said, he told us, Paul told us that, you know, 
in the unlikely event that your ropes get sucked into the impellers, mm -hmm. a boat has a propeller. These have propellers inside of tubes and they call them impellers. Chances are they'll get chewed up and spit out. Mm -hmm. But if they don't, he said the minimum cost, just where it starts, besides parts and repair time, is $25,000 to bring it to the rent and dry docks and to get it in there. And, and, and he said, then there's costs of repair. Mm -hmm. He said, and trust me, they will find you to get those costs if something happens. Yeah. And, you know, we were just about to graduate from the U and we thought, you know, this would be a tough place to start with a big debt or other things. Maybe we'll put off uh, this idea for a while. And we, you know, I look back, I go, it's probably a good plan. Really, I wished we would have done it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway. Looking back now. <laughs> yeah, looking back now. Yeah. And I would love to hear about um, the captain, and maybe this is one thing that you're going to share, but meeting the captain however many oh, years ago? Yes. Okay. okay. So my mother-in-law's in town five years later. And, she, you know, um, we want to... Um, do something with her and she says i'd love to ride the princess marguerite up to <laughs> up to victoria spend the day up there and um maybe the night anyway so okay yeah let's do it this weekend so saturday we're we're on the boat and um part way up she says let's go have lunch so we went into one of the restaurants so the waiter comes up taking our order and um Betty's got a, my mother-in-law, Betty's got a smile on her face. And she says to him, do you remember when the skiers skied behind the Princess Marguerite? And he said, oh, we were just talking about that last night. She looks at him and points to me and smiles, you know, and I kind of oh, lift my no. hands up like, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> and so he stares at me for a few seconds, finishes our taking our order and leaves. And so I said, Betty, probably don't want to, uh, yeah, I know it's been five years, but so she just smiles and says, oh, it's nothing. Okay. So a couple minutes later, the back of the stage, the door opens and these three guys, two of them are brutes. They're great big guys. They all have, you know, um, British, you know, officers uniforms on. Right. One, okay. One guy's a shorter, older fellow. You know, he's probably 70 years old. They come out and stand in front of the band. The band stops playing. And the captain is standing in front of the two brutes. And he starts pointing at tables. And the waiters are in the back. Uh, and as he points at a table, they're shaking their head. And when he gets to our table, pointing toward our table, they nod, yes. <laughs> and I go, oh, no, Betty. <laughs> what have you done? Yeah, what have you done? They come up to my table, and he pulls handcuffs out of his his pockets. Okay. He says, please rise and present your hands. Uh, I, I kind of can't believe what's happening. And yeah. so um, he gets the handcuffs clipped onto one wrist, and he's fidgeting with the other ones they won't close properly and he's going oh these things never work right when you need them to 
So he calls for the waiter. We need three more chairs. So he says, go ahead and sit down for now. So the three of them sit at the end of our table next to me. Yeah. And he goes, so did you ever get caught? And I go, well, not until right now. He said, well, you know, the Coast Guard was looking for you. I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm well aware of the calls. And he said, well, it sounds like my chef is the only one that really got in trouble. And I knew immediately what he was talking about because okay. on the picture in the paper, there's the fantail, the top where all the tourists are. Mm-hmm. And then the next level down, there's another de- another deck, and it's kind of shaded because of the fantail. But you can see right against the railing is this guy in a full white outfit with apron. Mm-hmm. That's his chef. <laughs> so he said, Just "I watching heard the whole thing happening." Yes, and he said, "You were skiing back there for at least ten minutes before I knew you were back there." Is that wow? I said, "Well, that sounds about right. We skied for about fifteen minutes." And you, you pulled the power. He says, yes, I pulled the power down to less than one knot and you were still skiing. <laughs> I said, yes, we had, we were prepared for that. We knew there'd be some slow skiing. So we had jump skis on that. All we needed was forward momentum and we're skiing. Mm-hmm. He goes, he said, well, I had decided that if that didn't shake you, we just take you to Victoria with us. So, <laughs> so that was we talked for a little while longer and he said he did say that you know the owners the uh, what is it called the british columbia steamship company said they love what you did yeah he said they could not have bought a a um, a front page advertisement like that yeah so they're very happy with you <laughs> i said oh good <laughs> so i'm not going to jail now he said no not today yeah. So it was, it turned out to be a, a fun moment. But, you know, it is important to allow ourselves to do some crazy things, some fun things, you know, and that's where this falls. It's just, okay, our creativity went a direction. There was no intention to do it to get, you know, on the front of the Seattle Times. That was, you know, right. I'm sure we had a what if, but that, that wasn't why we did it. So, um, today where does your creativity take you because you sound like a pretty creative person you know thanks for asking i (laughs) um two areas um i i have the opportunity through my church to spend a fair amount of time in the world of homelessness Mm. and i get to meet guys like myself, mostly with, with men, um, the programs, um, and I have the opportunity to be creative in our, I'll say our lives. I enjoy getting to know them. Mm -hmm. And many of them are so much like me or, you know, uh, so that, that is defining to me in my life and my family's life. Um, um, I have a, I've had many hobbies mm-hmm. and I have a hobby right now that, that I've had for 20 years, but this one's really stuck and it's honeybees. Okay. And, uh, one day I took everything I didn't like about beekeeping, listed them 
And I said, I need to build a hive that solves most of these and maybe all of these problems. I'm in the most category, but I've, I've designed and had a couple operating and they're extremely wonderful performers. Um, a, a dual queen system, but it's, it's a, um, a very high end mm-hmm. beehive. You no lifting boxes, um, minimal disturbance of the bees to do what you have to do to be successful. These hive checks, um, any rate, they're beautiful to look at. Yeah. They're uh, very functional and I want to continue designing that. And I find just the way life goes, you you have periods of extra time and, and I've just, you know, this COVID thing and early on when everything kind of went to a halt, I had time mm-hmm. and I'm back in a, a hold mode. Um, but I, I do expect to spend quite a bit more time there. Um, I've had interest in, in people wanting them. Okay. So, you know, we'll see, but that, yeah, that's an area where, that, um, I have, I have two Labrador retrievers and I take them on hikes on weekends. Um, I usually get there before sun up, you know, to local, mm-hmm. local hikes and what a great time for that flow I was talking about earlier for, I, I asked the question that as I'm walking in the woods, it's so peaceful. Maybe the birds are talking, but those ideas on how to solve these happen. That's when mm-hmm. they really flow for me. And so I have to, I have to have that creative flow work. It, it can't be in a, um, in a noisy situation it has to be a uh, a peaceful um yeah it just needs to be the right situation to to allow that peace and that that flow of of ideas to Mm -hmm. just happen and that's how i've solved a lot of the issues of this hive and um yeah hope to do a lot more of it i think it's it's definitely a, a an evolution piece that's right where it's at it it works great, but yep. I have ideas um, on on how to uh, make it more complete. Okay. So um, I think we'll wrap it up, but just one last question. That group of guys that you did that water skiing adventure with, do you have you guys talked about doing something again, but now or sometime <laughs> in the future of getting together and sort of re, I don't know, reinvigorating that? adventure together no we have no plans to do anything crazy like that okay (laughs) but if we get something i'll let you know maybe you'll want to do it that's the what's next portion of this podcast of what are you going to do next but i won't give it away don't worry so that well yeah at this (laughs) doesn't foil your plans no yeah the palette seems to be pretty full yeah right now Um, yeah yeah, thanks for asking i'll i'll include you when we get there (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. I'll hold you to it. Well, Bruce, I really, I loved hearing that story and, um, it's just so fun to also just think back to the seventies of when it was more possible to do this kind of thing, but you guys just went for it. And like you said, it was, that was how you were creative and that's how you expressed it. And what a cool thing to just do it for the sake of doing it and not for anything else. So, um, it was fun talking with you and sharing. 
reliving it. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Curiosity Cast. For more content and episodes, you can visit www.thecuriositycast.com or follow us on Instagram at the Curiosity Cast. Stay curious. <laughs>